Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. Hello listeners, welcome to Super Bailey Bros in Movie Land, Season 2, Episode 48, just two more away from Episode 100. Dun, dun, dun. You know, I did some counting though, because there are like 47 pages on our website, each of which have at least three podcasts, which puts us more in the realms of like 140. Yeah, but if you factor in the fact that we've done like spoiler episodes and also like little mini things. And little and break, you know, filler uh, gaps teasers, that and all that thing. sort of stuff, extra little bitsy bobs, I think it's actually, what we're counting is proper episodes that's right so if that confuses you listeners with our nonsense numbering just know that that is the official 100 and we're building up to a special show <laughs> i'm sure they were super worried about it <laughs> do you know listeners i'm excited because by the point you'll be hearing this i will have done my first sort of proper interview i am privileged to be meeting and chatting to daniel Rezende, who you may or may not have heard of as the academy award nominated editor who did the film editing for city of god which I know, Phil, you think is an awesome film. Yeah, really, really good. And editing especially is fantastic in that film. The Academy agrees. And uh, <laughs> he's, uh, his first feature film, Bingo the King of the Mornings, is coming out in a few weeks. So you're going to have to hold fire if you want to hear that interview for a little while. But uh, what can I say? I'm excited about it. But, you know... You're nervous, but excited. A little bit, yeah. But I think my questions are okay. You reckon they're all right, don't you? Yeah, you, you trialed them on me and I thought, they're, they're interesting questions. It's a, bit, it's a bit surreal for me. It's like watching the bird leave the nest. It's nothing at all like that, Phil. You're I'll flapping away, trying to rise higher to the sky. <laughs> with all, my nerves are mainly all to do with lugging my stupid recording equipment all over London, to be perfectly honest. It's going to be great, man. It's going to be great. Let's see how it goes. But listeners, right now we've got a great show for you. We are going to review Battle of the Sexes. This is... Uh, Bobby Riggs versus Billie Jean King, the 1973 grudge match that was a media darling and may or may not have made a difference in the actual sport, especially when it came to women's tennis. I've also been to see Suburbicon with Matt Damon and two Julianne Moores uh, and also Oscar Isaac turns up in that one as well. That's George Clooney directs and co-writes with the Coen brothers, believe it or not. And I saw Daddy's Home 2 starring Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, a Christmassy edition of the uh, averagely loved uh, family sitcom. I was going to call it a sitcom, it feels like one comedy movie is it like this is the male version of bad moms too isn't it it's so deja vu but we can come to that in a minute yeah um, cool. so which one of those have you seen <laughs> sorry i've, just I've seen on. battle of the sexes laurie you've got a bit of a uh, kind of radio show apathy going on what are you talking about you're sort of just cruising right through you got it just at the right tempo so you can keep on rolling <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not intentional man it's late and we're recording elsewhere as you well know i am very so well it's yeah. one of those things uh we've phil's got a little discussion topic to throw our way and we've got some of your emails and tweets as well that probably know what we've been watching this week is that right no, I think we've got three movies. We're going to get through those. And then we'll be back next week some more Bailey goodness. It's not that long till Star Wars. I know, Star Wars Episode 8. In fact, I sent out a plea in our family WhatsApp group saying, does anyone want to come and watch the Midnight Showing with me? I will. No, no one's even I acknowledged will. the message. We I assumed, my message. friend. I assumed that I'd I saw come. those two ticks appear and not a word <laughs> was spoken. I'll be there. I'll be there with you when <laughs> the rain starts to pour. on Wednesday night? Yeah, we'll be there. Right, let's do that, man. That'll be good. Uh, okay, and anything else to say at this point? Um, obviously, listeners, you can get in touch with us at superbaileybros at gmail.com or at superbaileybros on Twitter. And you can also uh, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash superbaileybros, if you want to donate, support the show. And I feel like every now and again it's worth saying that uh, if you haven't ever rated our show on iTunes or whatever it is that you listen to it via, then please do so. We'd love to get a rating from you and a little comment. It makes a difference, to, I think, to our iTunes rankings. And according to some weird aggregator, we were back in the top 100 recently. It's such a mess that it just they move in and out all the time. And like, in case that sounds not impressive to you listeners, like Radio 1's podcast, 
podcast is at 99 half the time. It's just very strange. <laughs> very surreal. It's really weird. But so a rating really does make a difference. And also, if you have never suggested to any of your friends or family or whatever that they listen, if you persuade them that we're even worth a go... That is worth its weight in gold. So that's we really worth appreciate more that. money than money can buy. We're certainly worth more than money because we're not getting any money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, all that patron stuff, just to really clarify that, that literally just covers costs, but doesn't really cover costs. Anyway, that doesn't matter. So anyway, thank you for supporting the show and thanks for listening. I don't think there's anything more to say. Are you going to do a thought for the day? Do you want a quick one? I've got some as well. Well, do you do it then? Have you ever had a magic moment where you've discovered the reason why something is the way it is? Many like times, yeah. the design of it suddenly makes sense. Yes. I was using my car scraper to get rid of uh, some ice to, today, this morning, and, um, you know, there's that spongy side. Mm. And I was like, what is this doing? What is this just to, like, mop up the sweat you make as you scrape <laughs> along your car? But then I suddenly realised it's so that when you drag it back, it wipes up the yeah. uh, the leftover water. Yeah, that's right. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> I just thought, this is weird. I always used to, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've been using it wrong all my life. You haven't life. actually been sponging your brow with it, have you? No, but like, I've never really understood like why you're meant to do it and how you're meant to use it. I always kind of just went one direction. No, that's the whole point. Otherwise, you just get this weird like snowy detritus everywhere. <laughs> detritus. You, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's the right word, I think, yeah. <laughs> I do know what you mean. Nothing, unfortunately, is coming to my mind right now, Phil, but I've been blown away. As you well know, I think I'm inventing things that actually exist half the time, which I feel like is a similar thing. Do you remember when I suggested putting cheese in a burger? And I was like, that'd be like a cheeseburger. And I did, it did, <laughs> did not even, I didn't, it was really... You said it 100% genuinely. Yeah, it was a really, really weird moment in my life. So I know exactly what you're talking about, for sure. But it was magic. I was like, oh, it all makes sense. The world, it all comes into order. Design is everywhere. Well, there and that's we are. my thought for the day. Thank you very much. Off we trot. I couldn't help, Phil, when watching this film, feel a little bit of envy for Billie Jean King. Because when people talk to her throughout the film, they say, Billie Jean. <laughs> and there's some, yeah, well, apart from the Michael Jackson link, there's something actually quite cool about Billie a double barreled first name. Do you know what I mean? I think it, it either is very cool or not at all. Jean cool Luc, Phil. Jean-Luc is Jean-Luc a strong Luc one. Picard. But that's because of the full name. You've got to say the full name. But Jean-Luc is quite cool as well. Jean-Luc. Did you not find yourself thinking, now nah, she had a really cool ring to it, Billie Jean? Come on, Billie Jean. I just thought, how do you end up with a name Billy if you're a girl? Ah, uh, Billie Jean. That's the answer, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Combine it with Jean, which is a girl's name, is it not? Unless it's spelled but is it like you have, to, you have to have Billie Jean. Can you just get Billy? Because otherwise you Billy can have... Billy Piper. Can have of course Billie you can get Billy. Billy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that short for William? No, it's not. I just, <laughs> just doesn't make sense. But like, uh, if it was spelled the G-E-N-E, that would be like a guy singing in the rain. Then that's a double barrel boy's name, Billy Jean. Oh, Think about that, did you? Yeah, that's all. Well, by way of introduction, listeners, we saw Battle of the Sexes. This is a film we've both seen, and as I said in the intro, it's about the 1973 sort of sports, but more TV event. It's an exhibition match. Yeah, but not even really an exhibition match, because it's not linked into any major tennis tournaments. It was purely you know, for entertainment. Yeah, exactly. yeah, like an exhibition of stuff and it was there was a huge run-up to it especially by bobby riggs there was a lot of media there was a lot of hype and this was particularly surrounding the time in which there was a lot of discussion about whether the women's game deserved equal prize money with the men's game and there are all these classic debates flying around about well the men's game is more exciting to watch or it's faster paced people just want to watch this more and they're saying well no that's total rubbish and even then what's the difference it's the same level of achievement blah blah you you know you got well yeah to- just the the old white men in charge of the tennis yeah, competitions right. were saying that women couldn't handle the pressure of a proper tennis That's match. That's right. They specifically say that, don't they? That again they and again. Can't take the pressure in a very frustrating way. And Bobby Riggs is kind of embodies this, but in a weirdly jokey way, because 
It's not really who he is. It seems to be in the film that uh, he is taking on this persona purely to try and make a buck. He sees the money opportunity in being a chauvinistic pig, taking on the women and putting them in their place. But he doesn't seem to really buy into it. It's a facade. And what's funny as well is Billie Jean King even knows it's a facade and is playing along for the spectacle of it. And this is best said by Billie Jean herself, who is reported to have spoken about her massive respect for Bobby as a person and that she kind of loved him and felt there were similarities. And based on, yeah, the public personas, you would never guess that because he comes across this horrible chauvinist pig and he enjoys it, even if it is in a slightly clownish way. Mm. Emma Stone plays Billie Jean King and uh, Steve Carell plays Mr. Bobby Riggs. And it's directed by, I believe, the guy who was behind Little Miss Sunshine. You mean the husband, oh, maybe not husband and wife team, but the, the team Jonathan Dayton and uh, Valerie Farris, Phil. Indeed, yes. And then it's written by the same guy who did Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and maybe the other ones as well. Simon Beaufoy, Full Monty and uh, Slumdog Millionaire, mate. Should we yep. play a trailer and then we'll get into the nitty gritty? Yeah, let's do it. Would anyone else like to share? How about you in the back with the glasses, sir? My name's Bobby, and I am an addict. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. You know, you folks aren't here because you're gamblers. You are here because you are terrible gamblers. Hey, Bobby. These folks don't need to stop doing what they're doing. They just need to get better okay. at it. Who's Hi, dealing? Bobby, please. Who's in? Hello? Eureka, Billy James! Bobby Riggs. I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy-legged feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. Don't hang up. Uh, by the way, I shave my legs. Billie Jean King, already a champion of women's rights, is now the most successful female player of all time. I am not saying that women don't belong on the court. Who would pick up the balls otherwise? Oh my God, there's not a single thing I don't hate about Bobby Riggs. You know what I'm doing? I'm cooking. I'm cooking! I won the triple in Wimbledon. I could beat Billie Jean King. Does she have the nerve? Call Bobby. Tell him it's on. So, Billie Jean, what do you want? Don't get me wrong, I love women, in the bedroom and in the kitchen. What are you talking, Bobby? The more nonsense you spell, the worse it's going to be when you lose. I'm going to be the best. That way I can really change things. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to put the show back in chauvinism. Bobby's a clown. This whole thing's an act for him. Business, sports, you name it. At the very top, it's a man's world. It's when we want a little bit of what you've got. That's what you can't stand. 40 million people are watching. The battle you've all been waiting to see. No, I'm done talking. Let's play. The battle of perspective. Yeah, you see, I quite enjoyed that trailer. And I think the music really sells it in a very specific way. There's a lot of fast cutting. And undeniably, there, the focus is all on the event because that is the name of the film. I guess that is the draw for the film because it's a big media spectacle in living memory for many, many people. But I don't feel it's particularly representative of the film. No, it's a slightly different film than I was anticipating. I knew going in that it was about this tennis match, about uh, a guy versus a girl. He's 55 and used to be a world champ. I think he won Wimbledon three times. He won the triple or whatever it was. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. And then she obviously is the world number one at the time during this this period in tennis you've got the backdrop of them leaving the uh u.s lawn tennis association well no they'd kicked out the uh, billy jean and her uh, group of women tennis players and they formed the wta which is the what the women's tennis association i assume so yeah well regardless of what the organization is they basically uh, forfeit their opportunity to play in the grand slam tournaments in order to form their own tour 
featuring women's tennis to prove the point that people want to see them play and they deserve the prize money that they win and then Bobby Riggs comes in and he's a bit of a hustler he's a guy who likes to try and make a buck he seems to be uh, very much a gambler and trying to make money whenever he can he's doing these showboating games there's a great scene where he bets I don't know a friend at a golf club his uh, Mercedes is it no Rolls Royce car it is that he can't beat him at a tennis match while he's also walking three or four dogs right Mm, and he manages to do it with ease that's very much his character he's all about the show the event uh, the attention that's the sort of thing he craves uh, whereas Billie Jean King comes into it a completely different sort of way she's trying to prove we're women we can play entertaining exciting tennis that people want to watch and so we should be taken seriously as athletes yeah that's right now I, I think this is as we're describing it I hope what you're thinking is that sounds like a, an amazing group of things that are going to make a really compelling film my major issue with it Phil and I don't know whether you'll agree with me in fact there are two major issues really the first is that they do manage to do a lot about the event in quite an entertaining way and they have like Sarah Silverman who's the WTA manager sponsor person and she plays it for comedic effect and all that's kind of working in a nice quite charming way Steve Carell's Bobby Riggs is amazing I don't know if you've seen any videos no I haven't but like the rhythms of speech and the mannerisms and even the look of it like it's an incredible performance is much better than you think it is really like the real Bobby Riggs is, is unbelievably like yeah yeah you've got to look up some videos of the guy it's fantastic so that's all working okay but then you've also got as you say there's a kind of I don't want to say Aaron Brockovich but that is the film that jumps into my head I can't deny it there's a fight here there's a campaign there's kind of you know we need to see change here there's a, you know, a proper reason for doing this stuff we need to build appreciation for this sport we need respect uh, we need camaraderie as these female tennis players professionals all that sort of stuff is going on and Billy Jean King really did make huge successes in her whole life in this regard. She really won some respect and won pay, all that kind of stuff. She did a lot beyond this event as well. Then the third thing that's in there that you probably don't see in any of the publicity materials, I have to say, is a lot about Billie Jean King's personal life and particularly the way she she was discovering her sexuality, which perhaps was different than she had imagined. And the film tries to link all three of those things together for my money, Phil, it doesn't work. It's a mess, isn't it? Yeah, it's really... A, 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 none of those tones match well at all, and it really feels that way. And the net effect, which goes on to my second major problem, is that it makes Billie Jean King really not very interesting, which is, in my opinion, kind of a crime when that's what the film should be about. But it's not just that she's not interesting. I also kind of lost sympathy for her, because in the pursuit of this uh, discovery of her sexuality and everything like that, there's there's this sort of moral thing which they don't really know what to do with, which is she's married. Yeah, and right. She's having an extramarital affair in order to sort of explore this part of her um, her personal life. And they seem to just completely paper over it, which I thought was a very odd thing and doesn't really match. the. It's almost like the real life idea of somebody having an extramarital affair doesn't fit the tone of comedy and sort of lighthearted drama yeah. of the film. And so they just pretend like it's not there. I agree. There's a real, it's really muddily handled that romance stuff. And when it's a romance scene, like you, you can't miss that it's romantic. Like they play these kind of soporific tunes and there's they just gaze into each other's eyes with, you know, like the sunset behind them and stuff. Compare that to the fast cutting almost like hilarious docudrama style of the event stuff it just everything is a mismatch and the reason I say it's a crime is because Billie Jean King is the person who drives all of this and she achieves so much and she's a really fascinating person with a really steel like a real steely personality and she is a really interesting figure but they don't allow her to be because she's too busy trying to prop up these three story threads so instead she's just like the glue do you know what I mean I do know what you mean I think overall the film is 
a bit annoying, I found, because while it's trying to pursue these things about women uh, women being taken seriously, uh, LGBT stuff going on as well, I feel like it ends up stereotyping kind of all of it yeah, right, and totally. presenting a really simplistic view of all these things which are heavy issues they're big issues and very current issues i think yeah even today you've got this whole thing with serena williams and is she being taken seriously as one of the greats in tennis and and her pay and everything like that and so there's there's some mismatch there's some deep-rooted fundamental flaw in the sense of trying to pursue the comedy elements of bobby riggs's character and then tying in with these themes it just doesn't work yeah and this is the major problem because it is in such direct contrast with Steve Carell's Bobby Riggs, which almost feels like a separate storyline for a lot of the time because you have to see his home life and the breakdown sort of of his marriage. Uh, and that's it. It's played by Elizabeth Shue, his wife in the film, and how he relates to his sons and like his gambling addictions, as you heard in that clip earlier. There's so much about Bobby Riggs, but because he doesn't have to handle like the changing of the women's game uh, or anything to do with sexuality or anything like that. Instead, his, his storyline is much more straightforward and it's all in one tone. So you just get this kind of charismatic Bobby Riggsy guy who ends up being more interesting to watch. And it's so annoying because they've done it that way. They've juxtaposed these two people together. It is the Battle of the Sexes film. You can't let Billy Jean's character lose that battle. That is just sort of sacrilegious. And, that, and my final thing there, man, is... I didn't rate Emma Stone's performance very highly, uh, I have to admit. Comparing it to Steve Carell's Bobby Riggs, you know, when I looked up footage, Billie Jean King has a lot more presence than Emma Stone does, in my Mm. personal opinion. And she just looked like Oscar winner Emma Stone doing the things that Billie Jean King did and saying the things that she might well have said. Uh, Yeah, I think ultimately for me, I found the film a bit boring. And I think, unfortunately, that's because, like you say, Emma Stone isn't that engaging. She is just being Emma Stone with a bit of a different haircut. She just has to carry all the exposition all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and then when eventually it does get to the actual match, I found that particularly dull. For all this build-up of them saying, oh, the women's game is really exciting, people want to watch it. When they actually showed the shot, and they showed a lot of the shots of them playing tennis, it felt like two people who aren't very good at tennis (laughs) play tennis, (laughs) rather than this dramatic, exciting game. And maybe that's because it's as a modern audience watching something which happened in the past. In the 70s, right. It's in the 70s. It's different era, different expectations, different uh, level of intensity with tennis. And we've got Rafa Nadal, Serena Williams, all sure, kind sure. of blowing the water out of tennis now. But I found myself thinking, I am a bit bored by this. I don't really want to watch this it's that It's a much. shame because I assumed it, maybe it was the actors just trained a lot to do it. And that's why it was slow. But it's professional tennis players. And I think they composited the long angle shots and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah like you say it was the 70s and also I, I looked up the game Phil I did my proper research on this one and apparently one of Billie Jean King's strategies was to play baseline tennis because that was how Bobby Riggs had defeated Margaret Court in the earlier Battle of the Sexes match by staying on the baseline and just powering the balls whereas she matched him for it so he was the one who was forced to come to the net and that's how he lost. So she played a strategic game, but it might not have been that interesting a way to win. Sure, in, in the today's game, people complain about baseline tennis, just powering the ball back and forth, like rallies that go on forever, that sort of thing. Mm. So there may have been, it might have just been honest. That's the thing. <laughs> Maybe. My, my final thing to say uh, on this one was that I thought for, a, for the fact that Billie Jean King has had so much success since this event in changing the game, they really slightly <laughs> made an annoying um, oxymoron or scored an own goal with the way they handled the event because the way the film works is that that is the climax and so when the match is over the film ends yeah the film ends and there's huge celebrations as if that match was 
the, the defining, defining moment of women's tennis. And you think, well, like, what are you talking about? And Billie Jean King herself said, oh, you know, being a 55-year-old guy was no thrill for me. The point was, like, I couldn't allow him to make the statements he was making. And so in her mind, the ma- winning the match, it was not the great achievement. It was the media circus all around it. So but it's even in the, the film, film doesn't seem to get that. Even in the film, though, it's slightly awful because... They setting up as this sort of, like you say, defining moment where women finally prove that they, yeah. they deserve to be there and everything like that. But the whole film builds up to this event match. It takes a long time to, to get to there, a bit too long in my opinion. But they also seem to give every excuse you could possibly give to a chauvinist as to why uh, why she might have won. But you know what? That's also mirroring real life because there are unbelievable stories about it. Like I read one where some people allege that Bobby Riggs threw the game to get out of a debt to the mob. So like, these what? guys will stop at nothing to figure out a way so maybe that was the film attempting to build that in but yeah i don't know who knows but yeah so i think this as you can tell it's a bit frustrating because i felt there was a lot of potential there and you know the directors it's, it's a nice film to look at isn't it it's shot pretty well it had this grainy texture to it and i was impressed by the aesthetics but i just didn't i didn't really get it that's my problem I like Steve the lighting. Grell's performance is worth a look. I like the lighting. That's something which I remember thinking, oh, it's nicely lit in this film. And I, it's, it's fun being the 70s, isn't it? You've, you've yeah, been saying sure. this for a while. Like Going back in time is kind of enjoyable. For some reason, it's really hot right now. Everyone's doing it. Yeah. I think it's because you know where you stand with the world. You might not agree with what the world thinks well, it's been at that and gone, time. So you could, you know, yeah, but you make sense. It's kind of right? compartmentalised so you can get what the values are of the time. And there's yeah. not that sort of blurriness. It just is what it is. But I found the film a bit sort of a bit forgettable. Yeah, a slight disappointment. For me, it's going to get a B minus, I think. I think I'm going to give it C plus. I don't really get what it was trying to say or achieve. And it sort of blurred it all to make a kind of muddy mess. Too ambitious, I think. It tripped over itself. There we go. Okay, Suburbicon. Phil, you're itching to say something. Well, I was just chatting in between uh, our little reviews and things like that. I always feel... Coen Brothers are like officially good filmmakers, aren't they? And they, yeah. they write good films. That's what the general consensus is. And I kind of always feel like I don't really want to ever see their films, but I can tell that they're good. You don't want to? Why not? Because they're just, I know that they're going to be unpleasant and a bit dark and a bit horrible, but also very well written and very well conceived. Very funny, but in very dark ways. Exactly. Yeah. Like It's almost like it's not the most pleasant ride, but you can tell it's quality. Fair play, Phil. Well, I mean, would it lighten uh, or change your mood if I told you it's co-written by George Clooney? Does that make you want to see it? Uh, well, George Clooney, his filmography isn't exactly a light-hearted thrill ride. He did Syriana, didn't he? That was mm. one of his big things. And then he also did uh, Good Night and Good Luck, which I wrote an essay about. Did believe you? Believe it or not, in my degree, yeah. It was uh, an interesting film, I thought, but it wasn't a fun film. Mm. McCarthyism and all that stuff. But I'm interested to see how he does because he's um he's in there with his buddy Matt Damon, yeah, and it's got all those things that Coen Brothers like to do. Got insurance, they love insurance. Well, check this, man. So apparently, check this. Who says that? That's right from the eighties. Uh, apparently, this is, and I say apparently because I this is something I haven't been able to follow up on at all, listeners. But I've heard it. Uh, apparently, it was a Coen Brothers script that didn't get used, and so it's just kind of been lying around there. George Clooney has read it and decided he loves the script, but he wanted to do something more with it and combined it with a different story that he was writing. So, you know, bear that in mind while I give you the breakdown. Suburbicon is a kind of new residential area in America. It's just classic houses everywhere. It's all picket prefab white fences. stuff. Yeah, picket white fences and the huge mega mart or whatever it is. It's a commuter town. 
Uh, and it's the perfect picture of 1950s American life. So in the trailer, you're going to hear a bit of an intro to that. And this film sort of opens, really, with an African-American family moving into this neighbourhood. And then suddenly, all the white neighbours are freaking out, at first in minor ways, and then as the film goes on, in incredibly intense ways. And you think, wow, this is, you know, this is going to be one of those films that explores horrible race relations in the 1950s and the way that uh, people uh, bore up under it, all that sort of stuff, right? But then, uh, really quickly, the film just kind of puts them to one side, and suddenly you're dealing with Matt Damon and his family, who are the, the African-American family's next-door neighbours. So Matt Damon is married to Julianne Moore, and Julianne Moore's twin sister is there as well, just living in the house, and they have a son called Nicky. And he is senior vice president at his company, an important sort of family man, and it's a classic 1950s home. Matt Damon's got the sick tear in the glasses. Do you remember that film, uh, what's the one with Brendan Fraser, Underground? Blast from the Past. Yeah, so that kind of dad, right? Mm. But a bit more mild-mannered than that. Uh, and his wife, Julianne Moore, uh, it's been in a car accident, so she's in a wheelchair, can't use her legs, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, and the family, I don't know, seem happy enough, uh, but a bit on edge. And the little boy, Nicky, is making friends with the African-American family's little boy, and they go and play baseball together. Do those two things sound like they're linking up to you, Phil? I'm guessing one half is the George Clooney stuff and one half is the Cohen Brothers stuff. Well, let's find out, shall we? Here's the trailer. Welcome to Suburbicon, a town of great wonder and excitement. Hey there, Built with the promise of prosperity for all. Nikki, you need to get up. There are men in the house. Son, there's something I have to tell you. Those men killed mom. We've decided it'd be best if your Auntie Margaret came and stayed with us. Nikki needs a mother. We'll be strong. We'll be fine. Large? Yes. You know a character named Rizzoli? He's a loan shark. If you were into the mob for money, that might explain what happened to your wife. Hi, pal. <gasps> this is the last time that clown's gonna ignore us. Take care of a kid. took everything from us. I have to make decisions like what's best for the family. Any progress on the investigation? A mobster got killed a couple of days ago. I can end the conversation real quick. I'm sorry for his loss. Of life? Yeah, I guess he probably is too. Nobody's I'm here to collect. What do you want? I want all of it. All of it. Nothing like this ever happened here. This is a safe place. It was. Would you like a cup of coffee? I could have you killed in no time. I could kill you too. <laughs> Yeah, so the trailer does away with the pretense of there being anything more than one storyline here. It's entirely about Matt Damon, and more than that, it's presented as a Coen Brothers heist film completely in that trailer. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's all the Coen Brothers-y elements. That's why I was a bit like, oh, Coen Brothers more than anything else. Yeah, now listeners, I have to admit, I don't particularly mind spoiling this film. I'm not planning to, but if it slips out, I apologise. But I've got to tell you, this is just not good. 
I was so disappointed by it. I sat there thinking, this is doing all the kind of filmy things I expect it to. It's shot nicely. You know, the production values are pretty high. They've really committed to this uh, slightly twee version of 1950s Americana. uh, And everything looks right. And the performances are obviously working. Julianne Moore, I mean, and Matt Damon know exactly what they're doing, right? But I kept waiting for it not to be exactly what I expected and boring for all of that like the insurance scam is so obvious and the way that it sort of gets unraveled is so obvious and without any sort of interesting diversion there's just nothing there i've just about the only thing that is interesting is oscar isaac who turns up as an insurance investigator who's trying to inspect fraudulent claims and he thinks there might be something fishy about this one it's quite well scripted and oscar isaac is very charming so he does the job well but literally nothing else is interesting. It's really boring. You, you just keep waiting. So George Clooney, okay, I've seen this story before, George. So what is, what's your new layer on this? What's it your sounds, new angle? Where's the twist? Where's anything other than literally what is on the surface? It sounds like Fargo, but without um, uh, the police officer character. Right, the really interesting central character that <laughs> yeah. you root for and care for and has interesting sort of side things happen to her, like that really awkward but brilliant conversation with the guy who tries to hit on her. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of thing, that's exactly what I'm talking about, is completely absent from this film. And instead, what you do have are odd sequences from George Clooney, it must be, where you go back to this African-American family receiving increasingly hostile reactions from the residents of Suburbicon. But that storyline is so irrelevant to the actual story that apparently is being told. Or maybe it's the other way around. The Matt Damon storyline is completely irrelevant compared to the African-American storyline being told. So there's no tie-in at all? Except for them being neighbours, there appears to be absolutely nothing. And... I think that's, again, a bit like Battle of the Sexes. That's almost unforgivable because if you're going to present this sort of horrific example of awful civil rights abuse and stuff and racism, then you need to deal with it properly. You can't just have it there as set dressing. And in particular, George Clooney utterly, utterly fails to give the African-American characters anything approaching a voice. There's barely a line for them to say. They, They do nothing at all other than sit there and have their house smashed. They are just bit. lightning rods for it's this. So, it's so irritating because it feels like he's just, use, he just, feels like he's just using it as a way to suggest that he's doing something noble with this film. And, and then I found my mind, because of that, my mind was trying to stitch together the kind of allegory or metaphor. And the best I can come to, Phil, is that this is some kind of hasty attempt to reflect modern America because you've got people who don't like the older generation who feel they've messed everything up by buying all the houses so young people can't afford it, right? Right. So there's this kind of uh, conflict between the older generation and the younger generation. And then there's people who hate newcomers to their community, especially those of a different race, and are just horrible and wanting them to get out. And the way that people tie all the horrible goings on in this community to the African-American family and not the horribly messed up dark family goings on of Matt Damon and co, right? So Mm. instead, these people in their greed mess everything up and ruin things and do terrible things. But all anyone can do is like rant and rage against the African-American family because they're different. So that was the best theme I could get out of it, listeners. And if you see this, please do better. And please try and tell me there is actually something here worth seeing because I couldn't see it. Was there anything redeemable in the direction? No, it's it's good. It's fine. It's serviceable. It doesn't blow you away. There's nothing really clever about it. Occasionally, you'll get a bird's eye view angle to set something up, but kind of there's nothing about it out of the ordinary. This is what I mean. There's nothing beyond the surface layer. The performances here, this it's are fine. Everything is fine and serviceable and fine, but just not enough. You know, I, I mean, for me, it's C plus material. 
Really, just that maybe even a C. Mediocre. It's so average. It's really, really just bland and boring. It doesn't have anything to say, and it's annoying because it uses all the obvious triggers for having something to say, then fails to say anything. Yeah, that doesn't sound good, does it? Do you reckon it would be made without George Clooney involved? No, probably not. No, I, I don't really get it. Like I said, I think the only thing that was interesting was Oscar Isaac's character, and I could, you know, could use more of him. I wonder when. Uh, what do you think the Coen Brothers would have done with it? Do you reckon they would have done something a bit different? Well, it would appear that they wrote a story and decided it wasn't good enough to make into a film. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I think that's what they decided to do with it, and they're they're credited on this as well. I can't believe they're happy with that. Oh man, bit strange. I don't. I kind of don't know what to say. No, well, that there isn't really anything to say. It's a real disappointment from start to finish, and I'll be sort of amazed if anyone can watch it and really love it. I think the only way to enjoy it is if you haven't really seen a Coen Brothers film before. Coen Brothers light. Yeah, it really is like that. But yeah, well, I won't go into it again. <laughs> there you go. Suburban rubbish. That's all I've got. <laughs> Any bonuses? No, that was it. <laughs> I can show you a song. Can you name the song from what I'm singing? You better can, man. Which one is it? That's a whole new world. Yeah, indeed it is. And boy, have I discovered a whole new world. Uh, I recently got a car, listeners, and it's got a CD player, and I needed to stock it out with uh, some CDs. And lo and behold, I bought Now That's What I Call Disney. Did you really? We were looking at that the other day. Interesting. Yeah, interesting, because some of the songs that I would assume would be on it haven't made it. I wonder why, maybe it's some rights reasons. Can you tell but us which ones they are, sorry? I was wanting some Mulan on there. I ah. was wanting a bit of... Uh, Tranquil as a forest. Indeed, yeah. With I, the fire <laughs> within. When will my reflection show who I am inside? Beautiful stuff, man. That's yeah. all that sort of stuff. It's got some of the classics, but also it's got really weird like pop versions of the song oh, I think the worst. I don't want that yeah, I, didn't, I don't want that. some weird pop star who's no longer singing actual to be, characters to, only give me please. the movie version yeah. that's it I want to hear Angela Lansbury doing Beauty and the Beast <laughs> but made me think what makes an actual good Disney song and I kind of think that there hasn't really been got a standout hit. Yeah, like I mean, musicals, have you seen Moana or not? Moana, I think it probably is the best one. Uh, lots of people say Frozen, obviously had Let It Go and all that sort of stuff and great mm. soundtrack stuff. But all my I, life has been a series of doors in, in my face. face. That's a good line. That is good. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I just wondered why it hasn't reached the heights of uh, Pocahontas and Mulan and Pocahontas. Hercules. And can you paint with all? That's not a height. That is, is a it? great, great soundtrack. I don't <laughs> like the movie. Those music is. Should music. I marry Coco Um? Steady as the beating drum. What are you talking That's about? A great line. That <laughs> That's a great line. It's like the breakdown. Wow. That's just around the rib bend. I've been oh, loving that's it. That's a listeners. good song. That's I've just been song. I've been loving listening to the Disney thing, and I'm wondering what makes a good Disney song. And I notice all the classic ones don't use drums that much. Uh, I hear what you're saying. I mean, are you going to go? This is a very big topic. There's been a lot of Disney songs, and are you really asking what makes a good one? What makes a good one? And also, what, which one is the best? Okay, which one officially okay. is the best? You mean you're not giving me much preparation time for this one, Phil, <laughs> so I feel like we should do a proper job of this. But uh, the ones that immediately spring to my head, I really love a lot of the Hercules soundtrack, Hercules. which I, in general, as you know, I love that film and I think it's massively underappreciated by the muses fans. as uh, these sort of oh. gospel singers. is fantastic. And there's a couple, like, Zero to Hero is just, Major. like, what, what more do you want from, that is such a show tune, it's unbelievable. And I really love I Won't Say I'm In Love. Mm. and both of those they just do such a good job of telling the story and setting the tone and allowing you to latch on to what is happening in the story 
by the me- literally the melody as well as the words and the composition and everything. Like I won't say I'm in love. It's such a great way of turning Megara from this steely ice queen into someone who is secretly uh, what's the word I'm looking Pining for? Holding for a Hercules. candle for yeah. Hercules, right? Yeah, that's a brilliant song. Uh, similarly, Robin Hood. A lot of it is the context, I think, Phil. Like um, the Roosters' songs are fantastic. <laughs> like <laughs> every town has its ups and downs. Do you know that one? Yep. And times ups. That's fantastic. Like, <laughs> but it's all the context, man. But then it's a, it's a particular skill trying to convey exposition and story and character through song. And Disney are like the masters of it. And um, I feel like Moana, I liked it more and more. It's grown on me, but some of it is is not so good. Um, there's, I remember the one song, the opening song, was just all being kept on mentioning coconuts. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, why is there a song about coconuts? We plant them in the ground and we make coconut. I, know, I agree with you on the coconuts. <laughs> I think they were going for some kind of monotony because the parents are saying, "Come on, Moana, life's about coconuts," and she's thinking, "There's got to be like more to life than coconuts, Mum and Dad." But all on. I got was coconuts. That's all I got. And I uh, think looking back on those uh, those big classic Disney songs from Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, mm. those guys who wrote those songs are absolute genius. Well, Alan Menken did a lot of the ones you're talking about, and I think he really is a genius. He's Little Mermaid as well. I but think. then also Look you've got the stuff. whole... Isn't, isn't it neat? That's fantastic. Oh, man, I love this stuff. But then even then, you've got the, the people who did like Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, yes, all the Mary Poppins things. There's been loads. The Jungle Book has fantastic songs. Yeah, good ones. The music in Snow White even. I like the backing track. I'm not so much a fan of the lyrics and things. Uh, a bit repetitive. I ho, I ho. So, yeah, I get it. But just <laughs> there's been an absolute... It's all there, man. They're ready to go. And I kind of think the newest age of uh, Disney fans, the young and up and comings, yeah. they're not going to have that well, same I felt love. that The Emperor's New Groove marked a downturn. In some ways, it might be easier to choose songs that we think don't work because that will highlight the stuff that works. I feel like Emperor's New Groove really took a downturn because I don't remember any songs in it, but I know there were some songs at the very least. Right at the beginning. Yeah, the one, right? Yeah. That's uh, a great song. I, the but opening. I don't, but it was quite... With Tom Jones. <laughs> Tom Jones is a very good choice. But it was a bit more modern. In my head, maybe I'm remembering this completely wrong. I sound like such a sort of old man right now. That was an odd one because Thing was originally down to do the whole music and that was when it was like this right. really intense family drama. And um, it was his... Like, you know Sting. You remember? I know Sting. You like, know. all of his music is very, like, soulful. I love and, like, that guy. Get some, like, pan he's fantastic. going. He's just and, um, and then they ditched it all and went for the funky, like, Emperor's New Groove stuff. So oh, I feel like that's a bit... Well, a bit of a harsh one to pick That was on. a different film, though, wasn't it? There was mm. a hot, that's a really interesting uh, Disney backstory, actually, Empire of the Sun. Mm, indeed. It's one of those ditch projects. So, Phil, what are you asking, man? I want to know what is the best Disney song and why is it the best Disney song? And I'm sure lots of people feel very strongly about this. So oh, of course they do. I'm sort of doing that classic thing, introduce a topic and then deal with it later. Well, I feel like we need to come back to this and maybe indeed. we should regularly come back to it and you and I can sort of lay out our top three or something in a, a loving detail, a bit like a picture perfect that we haven't done for ages. Indeed. You know, I actually was going to do a picture perfect about the opening of Hercules oh. as a brilliant opening because of we the... We are the muses. Exactly. Yeah, using all of <laughs> that um, musical Proclaimers stuff. of heroes. It's heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Hercules. <laughs> anyway, but it's such good exposition and really zips along and it's yeah. so inventive. I think that's a brilliant opening and that's all down to the music and yeah, the lyrics. Yeah, man. That film is brilliant. If you've not seen Hercules, I, I can only recommend it. I think I don't get why it wasn't loved 
Uh, anyway, look, let's do that. Listeners, send us your thoughts, and Phil and I maybe will come back to this topic. Bros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at Bros. Let us know your favourite Disney song and why. And also, if you don't want us to sing them, which we seem unable to do, <laughs> then, uh, you know, say. Blame, what's his name? Menken. It's always Menken's Alan fault. Menken. <laughs> Menken. <laughs> okay quickly does it daddy's home too listeners i saw this a while ago and i've already eaten my way through an entire daddy's home to advent calendar <laughs> as provided for me on the seat when i went to the screening man you're getting all these perks that is nice isn't it yeah i'm keeping a, uh, all the sort of invitations and things that i get a uh, little scrapbook lovely little display someday when, kids one day. when it's all over <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, listeners i don't know whether you saw daddy's home the original one reviewed it on this podcast quite a long time ago now it's mark Wahlberg turning up as uh, a dad who divorced his wife and the wife took the kids with her didn't really want much to do with each other for a long time so the wife got married to Will Ferrell uh, and or I think married or they're just together I can't honestly remember but then Mark Wahlberg has a change of heart and decides he wants to be involved in his kid's life so that entire first film was Mark Wahlberg trying to prove that he's the cooler better dad and he is Mr. Leather Jacket Mr. Cool and Will Ferrell is very Mr. Family uh, quite soft around the edges but they both love the kids and the the end of it is that they learn to sort of coexist and that's how we start Daddy's Home 2 they're coexisting there's a gag in the trailer up ahead about Coco and you know how they're sharing responsibilities and they go on about how they're nailing this co-dadding thing and they support each other and Mark Wahlberg's got softer, Will Ferrell hasn't really got tougher, but you know how it all goes. But this lovely harmony, which they're hoping to, you know, enjoy over Christmas, is about to be shattered because their dads are coming. Oh, what's that? Deja vu? Yeah, you're right. It's the exact same plot <laughs> of A Bad Mom's Christmas. <laughs> exact same. And of course the dads turn up and they're just an exaggeration of their son's characteristics. It's because that is the only, that's the only story Hollywood knows. <laughs> <laughs> apparently so who do we have for mark Wahlberg's dad well mel gibson phil reprising his role basically out of what women want but a bit meaner uh and trying to come off as a really cool version of mark Wahlberg's dad and it's a i think it's a weird bit of casting you seem to like it i think it just makes sense does it not it's a recognizable actor who people kind of have associations with already so they kind of know what they're going to get with him but he's cheap because of his career downturn. I suppose that's so true, So he can actually. do the supporting. I it's like, about the do some angle. Hollywood math, my friend. <laughs> Add that's a up. good point. That is a good point. Uh, he's got such a weird character in this as well. They just skate past because I think they imply that he works at NASA and he's been an astronaut. <laughs> right. I've never seen anyone look less like an astronaut in my life. And you, astronauts aren't like that. Astronauts are Buzz Aldrin. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, no, I'd love to carry your shopping. They're like general, though. Exactly. They? Well, no, I'm just very polite. Like I said, carry your shopping. Yeah, of course, ma'am. That kind of thing. That wasn't a good impression at all. <laughs> Roger, oh, stop this. Get out. <laughs> Pull back. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, of course, you have... Now I'm going to do a joke for you, Phil, here. Oh, that guy. Oh, um, oh, the guy who's the voice of Lord Farquaad. Oh, what's his name? His name's completely gone out of my head. Oh, 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 oh. And then if Al Ryan were here, because this is a repeat of BBC Radio Oxford, Phil, he would text in and tell me it's John Lithgow. And I'd go, oh, John Lithgow. Right, okay. And then I'd get so flustered later on in Radio Oxford that i call Chris Hemsworth, Chris Hemingsworth. <laughs> so that's what happens. Just to chill me. your beans, man. No be minds. No be minds. No, no. I just I thought I'd just enjoy that little moment all over again. John Lithgow plays uh, Will Farrow's 
Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. <laughs> I told you. I just you get, get flustered all over his names. It's names that really get me going. Anyway. Look, Will Ferrell. He plays Will Ferrell's dad. And they are incredibly tactile, very touchy-feely, very in touch with their emotions, all that sort of Greet stuff. each other with a kiss and all that. Yeah, full-on kiss on the lips. And that is a, that's a funny scene. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I found it funny. And it's, you know, lowest common denominator stuff, listeners. Uh, would you like to hear the trailer? Yeah, hear us with the trailer. Let's do it. Hey! How'd you date? Stepdads and dads don't... Don't always get along, but Dusty and I have this Kodad thing on lockdown. You make treats for tonight, right? I'll hit the bakery on the way to the pageant. Bakery? Look, you don't want me to go to the bakery. No, I'm usually when you repeat what I said and you shake your head up and down, it really means you don't want me to do it. I'm just thinking, what? Maybe homemade? No problem, Braddy. Homemade snickerdoodles come right up. Hey! Hulk and Rugan, you better count your teeth! Thank you so much for the cocoa! Hey guys, we got a big surprise for you. Oh, is it money? A trampoline? Another pony? This year, Christmas, both families together. Yay! Hello? Grandpa Kurt? Look, your father hasn't met the new Evolved Dusty. That's exactly the stuff he's going to make fun of us for. You'll see. Dear God. Is that him? The dress is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I can't picture him actually going shopping. There you go. Bring the car around on the curb. This is Sarah's husband. Why is he here? Oh, because my dad's coming too. He hasn't seen his dad in a long time. It's only been two weeks, but it feels like forever. It does, doesn't it? And this guy's raising your kids half the time. Hey, kids, I got a good one for you. Two dead hookers wash up on the show. He's going to ruin Christmas, Brad. I'm telling you, the only person that can ruin your Christmas is looking back at you from that mirror. All I see is you, Brad. Sorry. Right here. There. There we go. Hmm? Still you, Brad. There we go. Now, Phil, you know, I kind of enjoyed this film. I enjoyed it more than both the other films we're reviewing today, even though it's total middle-of-the-road fare that isn't trying to do anything other than collect box office receipts over Christmas. Is it harmless fun right to the uh, very end? I don't know that I call it harmless fun, and I don't know that I call it fun right to the end either. Let's come back to both those things. But I do think what it does have that a lot of comedy films nowadays don't really have is that it allows Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg to play to their strengths and I, uh, as performers. And I know, you know, the current vogue is to let improv just reign and everything else. I don't know how much improv is in this film, but just the way that it's done, either they're just great improvers or it's a bit more tightly scripted because it doesn't feel loose and stretched out the way that a lot of comedies do these days, very thin on the ground. Instead... They, they just do the job well. So there's a couple of scenes that really stood out to me that I, I couldn't help laughing at. Like Will Ferrell at one point is trying to give his son a talk about how to talk to girls that he might like and, you know, take the first steps and everything. <laughs> he just It just is a nice sort of rabbit hole where he discusses getting into the friend zone because that's where we thrive. And then, and then he tells a really long story about and then he'll go, he'll go to the wedding uh, and the dad will say, are you sure you were invited? And then you show him the ticket. You show him the proof <laughs> that you're entitled to be there at the wedding of the girl that you're in the friend zone for that you felt your feelings for 10 years. You know, get it? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. But Will Ferrell, he's just very good at that sort of stuff. He really commits to it. As you were saying to me, Phil, this is what you think about him, right? Yeah, I, there's something about Will Ferrell in the sense that even when he's given 
not the best material, he will commit to the idea of it way more so than most other performers. You can see that really, especially with Saturday Night Live. I think I even watched um, or read Tina Fey, you know, the writer who was involved in Saturday Night Live and everything like yeah, that, yeah. talk about him and say that he was the guy who would completely 100% go with what your sketch was, even if it wasn't very good. And he would get laughs out of stuff that wasn't that good because he was... Just complete- commitment. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at like that cowbell sketch, it's not the funniest sketch, but there's something about how he delivers it all. Yeah. Gotta have more cowbell and all that sort of stuff. His impressions of that guy, I can't remember who he is, the uh, the astronomer or something. It's fantastic. Do you Harry- mean the John, what's his fame, the film guy? No, no, no. That's fantastic as well when he's doing Inside the Actor's Studio. That is great. And he interviews uh, Screech off um, Stay by the Bell. <laughs> no, but also uh, it's the chap who... Douglas asked, Moore? The moon was made of ribs. Would you eat the moon? Have you, no, do you know that one? Doesn't matter. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> he's a funny guy, and he's uh, you were saying his face is just funny. Yeah, he's got a funny face. You know, Mark Wahlberg. He's good at. Uh, he's got a very a slightly punchable face, Phil, as we've discussed before. But he does a kind of very good. What on earth is going on? I'm not that sympathetic, but you sympathise with me, kind of thing. And there's a lovely scene where they decide as the family to act out. Uh, the nativity scene by I don't know whether this is the thing in America or what but they all dress up as different members of the nativity and then just stand there completely still in public that sort of uh, art piece thing that sort of thing and seeing Mark Wahlberg there as like a shepherd (laughs) with a massive beard and then they start getting into a fight watching him do that quite seriously is just he's just made for that kind of thing he can do comedy even though what he's doing isn't a joke. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's 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 serious and he's sort of his seriousness is what's sort funny. of a straight man, but not really. It's the, like it's it's the other guys, isn't it? He's the same thing right. in that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ridiculous but serious. Yeah, and so he they're both playing to their strengths. But then there's all the stuff that doesn't work. Like there's a running gag about the thermostat and like that's such a kind of bargain basement joke. Dads care about the low heating. hanging fruit. Like the why is that even in the film? And they make a really big deal about it. Like all the dads come out to have do the thermostat and have a big chat. And then you know the weirdest part that works the very very least is they have the most insane fourth wall breaking moment uh, you can imagine, where they insinuate in the final scene that literally you, the people you are with in the cinema have the makings for a great Christmas party. And they sort of tell you to look left and right at the people you're around. That is wrong, man. That that's is not, that's that's not good for the big city. That's just not good anywhere. That's not going to go down I, well with London. No, I don't know what they thought they were doing. And I, I can't tell whether it's just really clever satire, but it just didn't work for me at all. So it's a real mixed thing, but to be honest, if you want some lighthearted stuff, if Bad Mom's Christmas didn't, you know, wasn't enough for you, and you need more of that, then uh, this is the one to go for as well. And in some ways, it's slightly better than uh, a Bad Mom's Christmas, just because it's got a tighter focus, you know, fewer scenarios to play out. So for me, it gets a uh, B minus. Yeah, there you go, B minus. Probably well. Not the best selection of films, is it? No, it really isn't this week. But, I mean, I chuckled through that film, so so there you go. There you go, Laurie chuckled. I don't know whether you're going for sort of classical beauty there, Phil, but that's just creepy, man. Sounded oh, right, like, okay. Sounded like a ghost. I, I sort of, sort of, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Now that I've kind of hit the big time, people saying, oh, like, even, like people have noticed. I don't want thing. to, I want to run away from it. I want to run away and I hide. I know that feeling, man. I do, but I'm sorry. You're in it. <laughs> Please save haul. me. 
uh, listeners, just a few emails and tweets from you because we're recording this quite early in the week. Uh, we had a really nice one from Dr. Nick and uh, she very clearly states, and Phil, keep up with the lingo here. What is this neologism normalcy? Question mark. What is wrong with normality as a perfectly good English word? I don't get it. A neologism, I assume, is a kind of new word or new way of saying things. But normalcy is just not a correct word. Normalcy. She's saying normalcy, not normal T, normal C with a C-Y. Yeah, why can't you say normalcy? Because it's um, nonsense. In, is that what you've said in, in UK the past? English. I don't know. I assume one of us must have said it. Otherwise, she wouldn't have got in touch. Normalcy. Yeah, normality is a more normal word. Yeah, <laughs> that's how that goes. <laughs> we stop saying things meaning normal. I, and it, well, to answer your question, Dr. Nick, I, I don't know. And I agree. I, we, we've discussed this on the podcast before. I'm not so happy with Americanisms dominating. But Phil seems fine with it. Language is always changing, man. Things move. You know, chicken could become the new it word. And we just have to accept it, embrace That's it. That's slightly different. Language is a, a, a community thing. But we're it's talking not, about editing it's not, there's existing not gatekeepers. words. There's not no, gatekeepers Phil, to the language. not understanding. That would be like changing the word speaking to spacan. Yeah, like, that could uh, happen. What? No, it could not. It's it like when he's going to axe you something. That happened, right? Didn't axe, it? yeah, axe. Like in America, that's a thing. That's, that's culture and uh, identity and all this sort of stuff. Changing language. Look at flipping Shakespeare, man. Yeah. He's just like, I'm going to make some stuff up and you're going to use it. And it's going to be used by everyone. I think the thing... How can, crazy is the, that? The, the thing with this is because of the internet now, man, it's a, this, I can't believe we're doing this right now, <laughs> is that everyone has the facility to check what is the correct way of saying it, but no one does. And that's the thing. I think that's what's bothering uh, Dr. Nick here. And I slightly agree. It's the same thing with grammar. Like, should of is just unacceptable. That's how it well, is. Well, I, uh, I could care less. I could, yeah, that's the worst thing in the world. That makes me, it makes my brain hurt when I read it. Because especially when I read books that are written by Americans, I'm like, guys, 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 guys. Like pay someone to put the word not in there for the UK edition. Just Just pay them, just pay them and spare me the pain, please. Well, anyway, if we contributed to that at all and we said something wrong in the podcast, we apologise. I'm sure we certainly, we absolutely have. We say so many wrongs. Absolutely no doubt. So many wrongs, so many wrongs. But thank you for your uh, email there, Dr. Nick. Okay, and we got one from the Pixel Bro as well. Hey, nice to hear from you. Uh, So I've seen a whole load of movies finally and not sure what the plus one slash minus one tally will be after this. Neutral for both of you for Thor Ragnarok. Um, I don't know whether neutral is possible, is it? Well, let's hear what he said. I enjoyed it, he says, but it just wasn't different enough. I cannot fault it exactly and love Taika Waititi. Hunt for the World of People is brilliant. But I think listening to your review ended up being more enjoyable than the film. Oh, that doesn't sound good. The trailer had most of the standout gags and there was just too much marveliness to let loose and really enjoy it or to think perhaps they were going to do something interesting with Thor. Uh, not convinced either by Valkyrie, Hulk's character has totally changed for no particular reason, which would have been good if he'd always been like that, but ended up making me too aware of all the studio wrangling that must have gone on behind the scenes to bring such a gigantic change of direction. That's fair. Probably our contract got changed or something. Mm. Uh, I found the action as boring marvelly as ever. Even the fight between Thor and Hulk, neither of them ever get hurt. The crowd, even Jeff Goldblum, were telling us by their faces and getting up from their seats to tell us when to care and when to think it was run-of-the-mill superhero bashing. I think I needed to have lower expectations to appreciate all the novelty and promising signs. As it was, I ended up wishing they had gone much further, although the ending was good. That's really surprising because it's like, that's completely different to what most people have been saying about the film. And um, it does sound like we might have ruined it by saying, Yeah, I slightly worry about that. I apologise to you, Pixel Bro, if that is the case. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great fun. I really enjoyed... 
um, the fact that there wasn't that many stakes to it, really. The stakes were perhaps in uh, Asgard with Hela and all that sort of stuff. But mm. the contest of champions, it's Hulk and Thor. You're not, neither of them is actually going to be in peril ever. It's just that is the way it is, but it's more just sort of a fun, silly Although you say that, and the way, the way that that scene ends surprised me because actually the Pixel Pro is right on this one, and I don't think this is a spoiler, listeners, because the fight definitely ends and you have every right to expect, you know, a sadder ending based on the way it ends, but it just doesn't. They just both wake up as if it wasn't even there in the first place, which slightly means the stakes that you did have didn't matter. Mm, interesting. I'm, yeah, I don't know. But I remember really enjoying the, the first um, bit, you know, when he's gone to fight that fire demon thing and yes. he gets his uh, little hamia m- Oh, you mentioned that. He seems and like he starts a, a threat, spinning it around. It's yeah. so cool. I loved it. I thought that was really exciting when he was taking on all those little yeah. uh, skeletty thingies. And I think Pixel Bro, I'm particularly sad to hear that you feel it hasn't escaped its marveliness because that was the only thing that really made me love it was a feeling that it, it had stepped outside of the formula more than ever before. But it can't step completely outside because let's not forget who owns the world and marvel <laughs> disney <laughs> so they're everywhere they're even in our podcast now well this, right this yeah you, they, they won't allow their brand to be compromised they just won't they're too savvy they're not going to let that happen uh but anyway sorry sorry that we um inadvertently led you to a disappointment there uh one more plus one to laurie for birdman i loved this film it felt so rich every moment even the cuts that weren't cuts felt deliberate it was like they were saying yes we know we need scenes and acts but we're not doing it the way you expect the cast were astonishing and the constant blurring between different levels of reality was like good Christopher Nolan. There's one line I'm still thinking about. When an accident happens to the lead in the play, Michael Keaton's character says to another very real character, his accountant I think, I made it happen. This fits with him moving objects with his mind but has crossed over from his fantasy world into an actual conversation. It also has to has happened in order for the whole film to function. What if it didn't? Like other things he said he can do but can't. I hope you follow that, listeners. It probably only makes sense if you've seen the film. At the interlude where Birdman talks to the whole audience, the repeated themes of exactly how he manages to get on stage for the final scene, the ending that whole film sets you up to not quite understand, it is just brilliant, all of it. Looking forward to that director and cinematographer's next pairing. Which was The Revenant, wasn't it? So check it out. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I still think the film would be better if it was edited like and had cuts and breaks. I don't think you ever breathe when you're watching it and which is the whole point. And right? it just maybe you shouldn't enjoy it that takes point. away from the like what's going on. Um and I feel like the I agree like the shots, the cinematography, um the direction is good and the performances are excellent. I just wish there was like some edits, like yeah, put some edits yeah. in. I guess a bit of a marmite thing, I suppose, is it? Either you're going to find it chaotic and irritating or a bit transportive. I keep using that phrase. I don't even think it's a real word, but it keeps on coming into my mind cue as the next thing to say. It's like I've got an auto cue. <laughs> you're just writer, reading the stuff. It's not very just reading good. it. It's typed in. Just <laughs> oh, read it. There we go. Uh, Pixel Bro, thank you very much. I think you've got a few more things to say there, Phil, but I, I think we'll come back to that another day. Thank you very much for, uh, for sending us those bits couple of tweets. Nicholas says, plus one to both for Thor Ragnarok, a fun and refreshing take on the franchise where comedy replaces emotional stakes. And plus one to Phil, though surprised by his rating, for Happy Death Day. Great fun with the genre, but falls a bit flat at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll take the plus one. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> but you agree more or less? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Asu Betty Rose at Patreon 
Happy two-year anniversary for my favourite podcast. Oh, thanks for being a great source of happiness for my and others' daily life. Well, that is too generous. Thank That's you so much, kind. Nicholas. And as I have now double-checked that you requested, here is your jingle. Thank you, Nicholas. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Nicholas. Woohoo! Thank you, Nicholas, for supporting us on Patreon. Yeah. There you go. I'm afraid that's non-refundable. So if you hated that, (laughs) you can't take it back. Listeners, if you want your own slightly cheesy, awkward jingle, then uh, head over to patreon.com slash superbabybros and find out how. Uh, Okay, and lastly here from Alistair who says, okay, bros, I saw Justine League earlier. Love that. Thanks, Justine Thank you so much, autocorrect on phones. Justine League. Justice League, I believe is what he means. Earlier, and glad that the character limit has increased on Twitter. There's so much to say on this one. Uh, First, yes, it's not Marvel at its best, but this is easily a huge improvement on Suicide Squad, Batman vs. Superman, and Wonder Woman, as that was overhyped. Interesting. Can't agree on your last point there. I think Wonder Woman is superior. Yes, it has a dodgy CGI villain, and some of the dialogue is clunky, but the potential is there with great characters. Aquaman and Flash are great, and Someone's Return is handled well with some great action sequences. Ignore most critics and go seem for yourself. P.S. I meant Justice, not Justine, but here she has a very good league team also. (laughs) I like that. Uh, he's got a further comment Phil after listening to our Justice League review you ready for this one mm-hmm. uh, at Betty Rose just listen to your Justice League special and Phil is just wrong about Batman vs Superman better than this as when that came out people complained too long and bloated so now they do something different and he s- still slags it <laughs> this was flawed but fun and would like a three hour cut the much uh, rumoured three hour cut from Zack Snyder I'm please, please do I'm sure he wants you to uh, I want to be clear I don't think Batman vs Superman is a good film I really did not like what it is that we got for Justice League. I can see why people are responding to it like yourself and Alistair positively by saying, I like the new direction this and the promise of what this could come lead to in the future. But I think that is such a low bar to expect this film to meet. I have a much higher standard. And while, I, I as I said, I, I don't really like Batman versus Superman. I just wanted to see the continuation of like that vision carried out properly. Even if you uh, don't like those films, there is a sense in which I prefer the idea of a studio You're committing about, to a director and yeah. going with it than trying to appeal to the masses and doing the lowest common denominator. You forget how much money is involved in this stuff. I know, and, and that's the thing. And- in some ways, I feel like it's... It's worse if it's it sits worse with me the idea that there this is the best way to make a film is to just have whatever so works well. For market example, research. Phil, uh, yeah, did you ever read the Wheel of Time a fantasy series? It's like you told me a bit about. It, yeah, yeah. I, you know, listeners, I, I decided I was going to write a book of that genre, and I read loads of it, and that was tough going, man. Like I enjoyed <laughs> some of it, but not enough to make it worth the books I read. But that is a famous series because the author died before he could finish it. And although he left a sort of roadmap for where it needed to go, obviously another writer had to take up the mantle and the style is just obviously really, really different. And there are a lot of people, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of people who maybe don't like that the series got finished because you can never hear the original author's intent. And in a real way, those characters kind of belong to that author and someone else can only be doing kind of fan fiction just at a high level, right? It's a version of an ending. Are, are you kind of talking about that sort of thing? It's not the same scenario, obviously. It's a mixture of that sort of artistic thing. You can't finish off the vision of what you started, that aspect. And it's not that I'm particularly in, invested in that at all. It's just I, I think it would be nice if it, that was possible. Does, do you know- but then there's also the idea of the Hollywood me- meddling, the studio stuff, who are just saying, we want jokes in it because Marvel likes 
there's does well, that's, that's all assumptions and people are saying that I, i'm sure that's been discussed but you can't blame them that's no i can't i can't blame them but i just wish that if they were going to do it just have the conviction to delay your film and give it like a proper we go. We talked about this, didn't we? Yeah, I know. We and I think is, is I feel like you're just sort of saying, ah, oh, it's, it's better than it could be. And like, that's like the such a low bar to, for these films. And I just but think... it's not that low because I laughed and I had fun. So it's not as low as it could be. But it was me. like completely whatever. You're just indifferent to it. <laughs> that's not true. I said I enjoyed it. I said I was entertained. Uh, Ezra Miller has said... Zack Snyder's whole plan was to begin the transition from dark to light with this film. Were you aware of that? Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And especially if uh, the the events that happened, maybe like, I I, I don't think he's a complete idiot. He can't be an idiot to be working in the the Hollywood system. And whatever, I just, I'm not a massive fan of Zack Snyder's films at all, but I think the guy does have a distinct style and I just think what we ended up with was something weird yeah, and yeah, odd. Yeah. It was an odd Frankenstein's monster thing. I'll tell you what, if Zack Snyder had finished this film, I would have been interested to see what he considers to be a light tone. And imagine that. We could have seen Zack Snyder do a comedy. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> be the weirdest slow-mo punchlines. That'd be great. Just see slow-mo laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably, probably would as well. They probably would. They did that in Bad Mom's Christmas. Okay, look, this is enough. Thank you very much, everyone who's been in touch this week. Send your thoughts in superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. And of course, we we will be with you next week. Oh, let's do the outro and the outro. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <gasps> oh, there we go. The show is over. Good one, do you think? Yeah. And certainly not great films, sadly. Yeah. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> Stop saying Sorry. yeah like that. Uh, listeners, we'll be back next week. Uh, I will absolutely have seen The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is a Dan Stevens starring... Uh, I don't even really know quite what Christmassy drama uh, following Charles Dickens as he writes A Christmas Carol or how it came to be uh, and Wonder is coming out as well have you heard of Wonder? I've seen buses for it and it's intriguing but I don't know anything about it mm, Julia Roberts Owen Wilson uh, and Jacob Tremblay who I I feel like I recognise that he's name he's the kid from The Room or Room oh there we go then alright so he's an up and coming kid star right I've already seen that one so I'm not going to spoil my views for it here obviously that'd be a mistake but listen out for those next week and you'll be what we've been watching won't you yeah and hopefully a film as well good stuff man all right other than that listeners have a great week take care of yourselves get in touch and we'll speak to you then bye for now bye quick one phil bonus mm-hmm. feedback i've got a question for you when you get feedback do you apply it instantly uh no normally i come up with all the reasons why i did it and how i'm actually they don't need to tell me the feedback because I'd already worked out that I need the problems. Yeah, yeah. I'd already sorted it out. And it's all just cover up because I'm such a fragile uh, ego. I know the feeling, man. You're like on the bake-off. You can always tell which ones are going to do it. They come up and pull, say, and pull points to the cake and they go, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, yeah. I just didn't get Well, yeah, I just yeah. overbaked yeah. it, you know, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Said, I, I, you don't need to tell me. Yeah, that's yeah. not cooked through. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just rushed it. I that, just rushed you're that it. Kind of person, right? I doubted it. Yeah. yeah like, you know, yeah. you kind of answer it for them. You so try you and give it ahead cons- of the game. Yeah. So it doesn't come as quite <laughs> shot to shot. Yeah. Well, that's a good answer. We should have just focused on that. That's not kind of my question, though, sadly. I'm going to have to. Uh, to redefine it and now I'm thinking about it it's not quite as fun as I thought it would be that oh, okay. thing was funnier 
Well, here's some feedback. Move on. <laughs> do you want me to do something else quickly? Yeah, go on then. I, I got told off at a petrol station the other day. Oh, were you on your phone? Have you heard about this? No, I just have the same experience. You've been told off. What the, did they say to the you? The person in the blue car, you're off your phone. You need to be off your phone. Yeah, right. That happened to me as well through the loudspeakers. <laughs> it was like terrifying. It's like being told off by like big some brother. giant <laughs> <Citizen>. power. <laughs> exactly. It's terrifying. And you feel like somebody's going to come and arrest you. Also, you can't really hear what they're saying very clearly. <laughs> so, so you you look around like what the only reason i knew it was directed at me was because everyone else in the petrol station was looking at me and you can't I, use your phone it was really annoying because all i was doing was listening because i didn't have my earphones i was listening to some adam and joe or something that could make a spark that that's exactly what they said the, and this, i can't let these things lie so i went up and said did you tell me to turn off my phone earlier why, why is that out of interest and it's like it's an electrical item uh could cause a spark if you dropped it and i was like what you mean like a car you might want to you might want to stop all the cars coming into your petrol station my friend <laughs> He didn't like that. <laughs> well, uh, he's just following his rules, man. He's just doing his that, job. What is that? How dumb is that? I think they even did Brainiac. You know Brainiac, the show? They... But I thought they did that based on the wave, the waves of the phone. So that... they, like, called a phone with, yeah. like, a, and just see if anything could set it off. I think they filled it with gas or something like and that. And absolutely nothing happened. Yeah. Because the other thing that was infuriating about it was that right next to me was a massive advert saying pay by QR code on your phone. And it had like a literal picture <laughs> of your phone. And <laughs> So they want you to pay. Yeah, really. they were, like, you can You're pay not allowed by to your enjoy phone your phone. At the pump. But yeah, please don't actually. And when I asked them, when I called them on that as well, I picked up a leaflet and said, what do you call? I basically said, what, what about this then? <laughs> I wasn't as angry as I sound. I was like, well, what about this? Like he said, oh, you, you do it from within your car. Like, no, that's not happening, my friend. <laughs> Anyway, look, this is, all, this is getting all miserable. Uh, but there we are. That's confusing. It's not nice being yelled at by anyone. Just confusing, yeah. And, uh, yeah, then we'll be back next week some more some... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, have you ever... Um... Let me start that again. <laughs> We're such idiots, we don't know. Well done, well done, Ryan Phil. Mm, sorry, I'm just eating wine gum. <laughs> That's fine.